This is Ann Arbor Stories. I'm Rich Red. Announcing the opening of the Flame Bar, formerly Cupid Bar, Saturday, April 30th, 1949, 115 West Washington Street, under new management. The Flame. It wasn't Ann Arbor's first gay bar, and it wouldn't be the last, but it played a major role in the lives of many among Ann Arbor's LGBT community, for good or ill. It started on April 30th, 1949, when Cupid Bar rebranded as The Flame Bar, turning a modestly popular downtown student watering hole into a slightly more popular downtown student watering hole. Neither The Cupid Bar nor The Flame started out as gay bars. Cupid started and The Flame continued to be a student hangout doing brisk business right off Main Street, next to Vogel's Lock and Safe, in the building currently occupied by Logan. The Flame wasn't anything special in those early days. Other than a giant painting of Custer's Last Stand behind the bar, the most memorable thing about it was bartender Harry Selios. Born Christos Passaportis, he served in the Greek Merchant Marine following World War II, visiting ports of call around the world. With two uncles in the United States, Christos arranged a 29-day shore leave to America in 1950 and paid a visit to his two relatives. He spent time in New York City, then visited the second uncle in Michigan. He never left. Young Christos took the name Harry Selios, married Teresa Talaski in 1952, and worked his first shift at the Flame on April 14, 1953, hired through a cousin who worked as a waiter. Stories I've read about the Flame have differing opinions on just about everything, but the unanimous opinion was that Harry was a great bartender and a good friend. Described as always polite, always smiling, Harry was the king of the buyback. He showed no prejudice and seemed to play no favorites. Harry quickly became a fixture at the flame and before long was everyone's best friend. Business stayed strong through the 50s as Ann Arbor's population grew and the Main Street District thrived. Then two things happened, and there's a date for only one of them. First, the flame was sold in 1959 to a man from Dexter named Harvey Blanchard. We have that date. We know that story. What we're not quite sure of is when exactly the flame became a gay bar. There's only one account we found of how this came to pass, and it's from Harry Selios himself, filtered through a story on the website outhistory.org. And it goes like this. So there's this gay bar nearby called The Town Bar, owned by a gay couple with whom Harry was friends. The town bar was a cocktail lounge and go-to hangout for Ann Arbor's gay community around the late 50s, early 60s, that is, until the owners decided to add live music. This brought a new kind of clientele, a group not so comfortable with the regulars and vice versa. Fights broke out, the new live music atmosphere kind of sucked, the displaced regulars needed a new place to call their own, and right down the block was a place called The Flame and this nice bartender who didn't care who you were or who you loved. It wasn't too popular, it didn't have live music, right down the street. So the flame became, pretty quickly it seems, the new gay bar in Ann Arbor. A pretty common fact to anyone living in the city in the 1960s. The flame wasn't a nice bar. It was actually kind of a dive. A lot of the credit for that can be laid at the feet of Harvey Blanchard, who, it seemed, was happy to stop by and raid the till, 
but didn't much care for upkeep or general cleanliness. He thought the dirt on the walls was cute. Walk by Logan, look through the windows today, or just Google the place and check out the pictures. The upscale font on the logo, the mustard paint on the exterior, big beautiful windows. Now take yourself back 40 something years. Imagine looking through those windows into a dark, dirty, smoke-filled interior. You'll need to peer past long dead plants that, when they were new, alive, and regularly cared for, gave the front windows a vibrant rainforest feel. But after a few months of neglect and constant cigarette smoke, the dead dust cake stalks sit in neglected pots, shriveling and gathering more dust, coated in nicotine and menthol and whatever cheap crap people smoked in the 60s. So your view into the bar is obscured by these dead plants but also by yellowed newspaper clippings taped to the glass. You can't really see in and you can't really see out. Beyond that, it's one big box of a bar. A long bar top running 30 plus feet from the door down the end of the building, lined the whole way with liquor. One big long room to the back, a side door that opens into the alley. No dance floor, no upstairs, but it does have jukeboxes. Outside, a big neon sign burns bright with the words flame bar, and liquor, a big arrow pointing to the door. But the dirt is what most people remember. The flame's filth is mentioned in every account of the place. Harvey just didn't see the dirt, Blanchard's daughter-in-law and flame employee once said. The last significant investment Harvey put into the bar came right after he bought it, when his second wife purchased new bar stools for the place as a wedding present to her hubby. Those same stools installed in 1959, were still there the day the bar closed. If Harvey didn't spend money keeping up the place, or work to install a dance floor or better glassware, it's because he didn't have to. The Flame was Ann Arbor's only real gay bar, close to Main Street with a steady clientele. It wasn't the kind of place everyone went. In the 50s and 60s, it catered more to adult gay men and women rather than students or professionals. Faculty members at the University of Michigan were afraid of being spotted at the flame and often traveled to Detroit or Toledo instead. It wasn't until the 1970s when the town became a little more progressive and societal and cultural change started to sweep the country that the gay student population and eventually faculty and staff ventured beyond the dead geraniums and wilted newspaper clippings and into the flame. In the 70s, local gay and lesbian groups began using the flame as a meeting place, rarely co-mingling, but sharing the same four walls. Gay activist groups formed in Ann Arbor to advocate for equal treatment and an end to state morality laws that, at the time, made it not only illegal to engage in homosexual activity, but against the law to even ask anyone to engage in homosexual activity, leading to fear of and actual arrests by police using questionable tactics to elicit convictions. Who was harassing gays in Ann Arbor in the 1970s? One member of the gay community told the Ann Arbor Sun it could be long-haired, dope-smoking hippie types, off-duty and on-duty cops, pimp street hustlers, construction workers, or fraternity jock types. He left out businessmen and students and the morality squad and basically everyone else. Remember, the Stonewall riots and the reverberations from New York were still very fresh at the time. The gay rights movement scored a victory in 1972 when Ann Arbor City Council endorsed Gay Pride Week, even if the following year, 
Council refused to re-endorse the same resolution. Gay rights supporters picketed 70 deep at city councilors' homes and outside Pretzel Bell, where city councilors regularly dined. Newly elected Mayor James E. Stevenson called the 1973 resolution extraneous and added, There is no proof that homosexuals as a group, because of their sexual preference, have made a contribution to the community. Stevenson was elected on a platform that opposed Ann Arbor's $5 pot law, saying it made Ann Arbor a national laughingstock, so this stance was less than surprising. The flame was where you commiserated about Mayor Stevenson and City Council, or had a few drinks to ease the sting. That same year, 1973, a review of the flame read, The City's Gay Bar. There is no music there, but the drinks are relatively cheap. That's it. That was the review. Even Mr. Flood's party got 100 words. But by then, the flame was commonly known as Ann Arbor's Gay Bar, which cut both ways. For curious students and the general public, the flame was the place you avoided or dared your buddies to go. And many folks, gay and straight alike, did. Harvey didn't care if you were gay or straight as long as you had money. And Harry loved everybody. Despite the dirt and rundown decor, the flame welcomed all. It didn't hurt that it also had a reputation for being friendly to underage drinkers as well as having the last last call in town. You could catch last call at the Del Rio, pop over to the flame for at least one more. Some said it was also the only bar in Ann Arbor where you could light a joint and no one would say a thing. The flame lived hard. Paint peeled, glasses broke and weren't replaced, and the dirt clung to the dirt clung to the dirt. Other gay bars sprung up, better bars really, with dance floors and DJs and dancing, good music and color. But they weren't the flame. They didn't have Harry, or the split bar stools, or the splintering booths, or those dead plants. It was the golden age of the flame. Then, in August 1983, high tide receded. Owner Harvey Blanchard died of a massive stroke. Without its owner and in financial disarray, the bar closed while Harvey's estate tried desperately to sell. The estate wanted to dump the flame as soon as legally possible. But it still took a year for paperwork to be signed and the doors to open once again. Former patrons and even Harry the bartender put together offer sheets, but the family sold to local businessman Andy Gulvazen. Flame regulars were disappointed. Andy had a good business reputation around town, but he had a good business reputation. Patrons of the flame didn't care about business. They'd been family for three decades. Andy's first move was his smartest, creating a good working relationship with Harry. The pair got along well, and by the end of the 80s, Andy even went so far as to create two unique brews in Harry's honor, called Harry's Lager and Harry's Light, bottled at the Joseph Huber Brewing Company. For a time, Harry's was the only beer served at the Flame. Reviews ranged from, and I quote, disgusting, to, and I also quote, it sucks. But Andy also introduced changes that longtime Flame patrons didn't like. He fixed up the place, a bit, and added colored lights. Huge changes from the Harvey Blanchard era. People missed their dark and dirty home. Andy also talked about adding a dance floor, 
but that never happened. Instead, Gulvazen did the second most dramatic thing he could. In 1995, citing a lease squabble, Andy moved the flame to a building he owned one block away at 112 West Liberty Street, the site of the former Gulvazen bar Kitty O'Shea's, and where the current Alley Bar resides. Patrons barely had time to steal keepsakes. The flame held a blowout in the old location on April 18, 1995, before immediately opening their doors at the new location. With Andy's crew moving things through the alley, from the old bar to the new digs, while the flame was still open for business, the scene was apocalyptic. Local Jim Rees captured the scene for his blog. Quote, The place had been going downhill in recent months. The windows were broken, the neon tubes removed from the sign. The individual jukebox control boxes at each booth disappeared a couple years ago. The last winter, the furnace broke and wasn't fixed, so they moved in a kerosene heater. On the coldest nights, customers would huddle around the stove, laughing and drinking. Last week, the booths were moved. But last night, the place was jam-packed. There was cake, food, and beer, a drag queen beauty show, and an auction of memorabilia. There was a group of bartenders from the Old Town, waitresses from the Bella Chow, and musicians from all over. As I sat at the bar chatting with a Fleetwood waitress, the beer bottles piled up, the staff not bothering to remove the empties. End quote. The last night on Washington Street was a chaotic affair. They pried the old booths from the floorboards and carted them to the new location, but not the dead plants, nor the wedding gift bar stools. The dirt stayed too, and whatever was behind it. And through the alley to Liberty Street went Harry and whatever patrons were willing to follow him. In April 1995, the new flame opened its doors, but you can probably guess that it was never the same. That chemistry, that special magic of the old place on Washington, how can you recreate that? How can you carry that down the alley from Washington to Liberty? Harry retired two years later, and everyone showed up for one huge party to see him off. The next year, April 11th, 1998, Andy Gulvazen did the most dramatic thing he could, though maybe not the most surprising. The flame served its final customer and closed its doors for good. Andy died on Valentine's Day 2010 of complications from a bone marrow transplant to treat a recurrence of leukemia. He lived a good life, and many credit him for making Main Street Ann Arbor what it is today. Harry Solowice died on June 16, 2015, at home with his family by his side. He was 85 and had poured drinks at the flame for more than half his life. His memorial service was well attended. The flame's demise wasn't Andy's fault. Well, maybe it was Andy's fault. The flame just ran out of oxygen. It was replaced by Babs, which was replaced by Alibar, which under new management exists in the space today. For you nostalgic types, there's still a piece of the old flame bar you can visit the next time you stop by Alibar for a pickleback. The booths. Those booths once nailed to the floor on 115 West Washington back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Those booths were moved to the new location and cut to fit the new floor plan. They're lined against the wall one block from where they cushioned Ann Arbor's gay community for all those years. Before it was okay for a professor to walk down the street, have a beer in plain sight in a place known as a gay bar. Those countless cold Ann Arbor winters and sticky Ann Arbor summers. Sit in those booths, face the street, look out the window. Sip your drink. 
put your ear to the wood. You might just hear Adamant or Barbara Streisand crackling out of the flames of rusty old jukeboxes. Lean in close. Inhale. You might just smell clove cigarettes or catch a whiff of the flames' trademark dirt. But sit in those booths. Those booths that have been around since the 1950s, that have seen so much, lived so hard, and lived to tell the tale. Before I let you go, a few notes about this episode. A huge debt of gratitude needs to be paid to OutHistory.com and Rostam Melsey and Brian Whitener. Their comprehensive history of the flame was invaluable as a resource for getting a true picture of the origins of the flame and the place it occupied in Ann Arbor during this tumultuous time in history. Hat tip also to Jim Reese at JimReese.org for capturing the flames last night on Washington Street, and thanks to all of you for listening.